0: So did anything um, happen while I was away? What's been going on while I was away? I'm, I'm I'm aware of what's been going on. Well, I'm probably not aware of everything that's been going on. I never am. I've accepted that. Uh, Jack Riccardi at 550 and 1071 KTSA. Good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show. It's good to be back. It was not on vacation. It was just a like a... Labor of love, little family business to attend to, and uh, everything's fine. Everything's good. Um, when you get to be my age, uh, people assume either you were on vacation or you were having something done, and that's, <laughs> neither 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 was the case. And if it was the latter, I wouldn't tell you anyway. So, I guess what you could say about Joe Biden today the President of the United States, is that this was a very Joe Biden day. This was... Like, if you had never seen this man in action as President, um, today, in the last few days, sum it up. He came out to the podium like an hour and a half late. He was... He looked the entire time like when Mitch McConnell... Had that, you know, blue circle lockup moment. But Mitch McConnell's lockup was like 20 or 30 seconds. Biden looked that way the entire time. He uh, recited laboriously and as if there was no actual uh, sort of visceral or. I mean this, or I I can say this without looking at the teleprompter, Uh, he recited the bare minimum of condemnation for and support of the right parties after the Hamas attack on Israel. Um, But as is always the case with Joe Biden, it isn't what he said, it's What he didn't say, it's what they're not saying, and it's what we're probably going to find out later without them saying it or telling us that's going to be the most important. I I think we're going to find out that there were people in this country and in this government that knew that attack was coming. I think we're going to find out that they know they paid for it with the money they unlocked unfroze whatever with Iran I I think we're gonna find out it's already being anecdotally reported that some of the weapons used were the weapons we left in Afghanistan and nowhere did he mention the nation of Iran in his statement and what we've known about Hamas all along and I mean the average person walking around in the street that doesn't really follow the news closely if they if they only know one thing about Hamas. They know that it 's iranian funded iranian organized uh it 's a proxy of iran it 's not people people call it a terrorist group like it formed itself like it was like it was uh, you know bin Laden getting people together in a cave, but Hamas was created by the Islamist regime in Tehran to do things that Iran as a country couldn 't get away with doing. So to have a, you know, deniability and our fingerprints aren't on it kind of thing, that they have created, funded, and given the green light to Hamas. So this, what what happened? That's what happened to Israel. The thing about war is that we always find out afterwards, when the history books are written, the same things. First, we always find out that that war is waged by lessers against graders. It's waged by the jealous and the envious uh, groups, tribes, societies, against people that have it better, that have done better, that have achieved more. Um, it is waged by groups and tribes that, want to band together and unify their own people more. War is a great unifier. It's a terrible thing to say, forgive me, but it is. When your country goes to war, your people pull behind the, the the government, the authority. They forget that they're hungry. They forget that they're miserable. They forget that they didn't approve of you last week because now you're leading them into this great and glorious conflict. So that's that's how wars always go, and um they have their usefulness. Uh, it's also, I think, safe to say that there was some sort of massive failure to either know or to inform because there's no way this could have been in the planning for months, if not a year, and people didn't know it was coming. So I, I'm really skeptical about who knew about this. I mean, Hamas did it, our our Condemnation or fulmination should be on them, of course. I'm not, I'm not trying to dilute that, but eventually we're going to have to find out w- whether this was a failure or whether this was withheld or whether this was given, you know, room to happen for some other geopolitical reason. I'm, I'm really skeptical about it. I just am. Cause I don't think this, this, this had to take a long time to plan and fund and, and everything else. And then I'm also skeptical about, uh, I mean, when you think about um, the people in this country that want to disarm all of us and want to malign uh, the Second Amendment, and private gun ownership, you do realize that all these heroic uh, stories of self-defense, women defending their families and people defending their villages and their kibbutzes, this is all people that were armed, and these were citizens that armed and and bore arms against people that were coming to kill them. This is exactly what the Second Amendment was supposed to be about. This is exactly what it was intended to be about. This should this should I know it won't. This should completely shut down the. You don't need that, and why should you have that? And that's not necessary. You know. It is, the, the, and and the media are reporting these stories unironically. I mean, I read a story about a woman, I think she was like 25, and um, she's the, they have like a, a volunteer security team at her kibbutz, and she was the chairman of it, and um, she's kind of new to the job because she's very young. And she heard the explosions, she knew something was up, and she doled out the guns that they keep in the gun cabinet. And she killed several terrorists herself, and the other volunteers killed a force of about two dozen over an hour's-long gun battle. And they saved their village. That's exactly what the Second Amendment is about. And um, these stories, we don't need to hear them But you probably know someone that needs to hear them. Make sure they do. You know, the other thing that's interesting about this attack on the Israelis, and um, I have to say, a lot of things went through my mind. I I hated being away from the show. Um, I thought about people I know who are from Israel who have family in Israel. It turns out, actually, I have some relatives that are in Israel right now. I didn't even know that. And as far as we can tell, they're okay. They were on a church trip. You never know, right? But one of the other things that I thought about these last few days was the word decolonization. Because that's what Hamas says they're doing. So they claim that Israel are uh, the the Israelis are colonizers in Gaza. That they are standing on stolen ground, that they have appropriated, oppressed, enslaved, and they're decolonizing. Now we hear that talk in this country. We hear people say you're standing on stolen ground. It belongs to the Native Americans. It belongs to Mexico. La Raza prattles on and on about this. Uh, People that don't wear deodorant but have a closet full of Che Guevara T-shirts are constantly talking about reparations and uh, plantation keeping and oppression. Remember that what they are saying, the meaning of the words they are using, is what you're seeing in Israel. They may... Or may not do it, but they are saying words that mean what you 're seeing. This is what decolonization means. This is what decolonization looks like don't dismiss them. yes, they seem ridiculous, and you 've seen them all your life, and they all, all they do is talk and you you're you're tired of hearing it. but there were probably people in Israel that had heard all that talk before too. And there was a guy that writes for, um, Teen Vogue and some other lefty publications, Naima Sharif, and he was saying this. He, um, posted on X. What did you all think decolonization meant? Vibes, papers, essays. So he is saying, And I know, I'm not saying he speaks for everyone on the left, but he's saying, hey, when we say those things, this is what we mean. I would take them at their word. I think it's what they mean. And I think when Ilhan Omar puts the Palestinian flag outside of her office, and Rashida Tlaib puts the Palestinian flag outside her House of Representatives office, after something like this, I don't think that's just, well, we have solidarity for both sides, or we're just saying that's. I'm going to take that to mean you are celebrating, you are supporting what just happened. Somebody will try, maybe on our show today, maybe tomorrow, somebody will try to say, well, what about uh, all the things Israel's done to the Palestinians? Like, yeah, this is equalizing that out, right? Okay, so somebody posted a chart. This was on uh, uh, com, And it plots on a graph the growth of the populations of Israel <clears throat> and the Palestinian territories over the last, uh, I think it's about 70 years. And it starts at a point when um, Israel's population is, I'm just going to round the numbers, Israel's population is 2 million, and Palestine's uh, the Palestinian territory's uh, population is one million, and it plots the growth over the last. It's about sixty-five years, actually. Um, in sixty-five years, Israel's gone from two million to eight million, and the Palestinian territories have gone from one million to five million. And on a graph, the lines run parallel and upward. So that's not genocide against the palestinians it's it's ridiculous and there's no whataboutism here and there is obviously you know there's fog of war and you can say well we may not know everything and maybe not every story we hear and every headline we hear and every statistic and every body count i agree i agree there will be corrections and clarifications as we go forward but uh, you you get the gist of what's happened here it's pretty it's pretty barbaric it's pretty hideous to kill children at a music festival and burn buses with children on board and rape elderly women and there are women walking around with bloody crotches because they've been gang raped and they're bleeding down there. It's pretty clear what's happened, even if not every story or individual account uh, can be verified, right? Or if we we don't know the exact numbers. It's pretty clear. You know, what else I was thinking today was um, right now, and I, I think this is the latest, uh, unless something's changed in the last half hour or so, but when I was following the news this afternoon, the latest reports were that the Israelis had called up a bunch of reserves. They were amassing their ground troops. It looked like the you know, the, the tank engines are running. Uh, it looked like they're getting ready to go into, uh, with a ground uh, force, go into the the territories and, and I was thinking um of course the minute that happens the media coverage will shift into oh they're they're horrible and they're committing atrocities and we need international peacekeepers and we that this is just un it's it's not proportionate and all of that and you know Israel's an old kind of an old school country uh they don't check with the UN before they defend themselves. They don't ask the permission of the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN before they assert their sovereignty. They they don't because they can't and they don't because in the old days, countries didn't do that. Uh, when when a country was attacked, the, the response was disproportionate, it was overwhelming, it was meant Not to just be an eye for an eye, but to be a hundred eyes for an eye. And the reason we don't recognize that is because we don't do that anymore. We believe in being, uh, you know, polite and diplomatic and go to the UN and give a speech and they don't do that. I'm not saying they don't do it because, uh, they're better. They just don't do it because you can't do it if you're Israel. And the reason it's, it shocks people, and it will shock people, and the media coverage you watch now will shift to, oh, they're just terrible. These are war crimes. Netanyahu is a war criminal. It's going to shift to that. But there was a time when people, everybody would have recognized what they were doing and why they were doing it. It's interesting that now a lot of people uh, can't or uh, or don't. So anyway, some thoughts on that. I want to get to yours. 210 599 Fifty five. We're gonna kick this around. We're gonna get your votes in on today's River City Oral Surgery. J.R. poll, our good friend Jed Babin will visit the show as well. What do you think about all this? What's going through your mind? Uh I do think that there are a lot of parallels to things we talk about, like uh stolen land, decolonization, plantation keeping. Uh these are very powerful concepts. That get thrown around by people, some of whom I think have no idea what they're saying or are echoing what they've heard other people say. you know there's a whole lot of people out there that just kind of vomit up stuff they've seen on their social media feeds right they don't even know what the hell they're talking about but 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 it's worth noting that that's the kind of talk that was the prelude to what we are now seeing happen, and um maybe it's a good idea to not. Give too much benefit of the doubt when people say it here in this country, oh well, you're standing on stolen ground really well what 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 are you proposing to do uh if I don't just hand it back to you, which it doesn't look like I'm going to do? people are quick to make I guess everybody does it, I guess I do it probably i'm not I shouldn't point fingers. people are quick to make comparisons right, like oh, this is. This is the Pearl Harbor of Israel. This is the 9-11. I saw, let's see. Uh, Jeff Jacoby, who's a writer I don't always agree with, but I have a lot of respect for. He's a Boston Globe columnist. Uh, Hamas attack is Israel's Pearl Harbor. And his argument is that the attack by Hamas has dislodged the idea that they can coexist, that the Israelis can coexist with Hamas. And so that's why Netanyahu has said, we're going to go in there this time and not just push them back or kill some of their fighters. We're going to replace who, who runs, uh, those territories. And there are other groups that, that, that Israel could, could invite in to administer like Fatah or something. And we'll talk to, uh, Jed Babin about that. So he, he's saying, at, as with nine, as with Pearl Harbor, you have the intelligence failure and you have the, Collapse of the thinking that we can coexist or engage, and that was the thinking with Japan, right? Well, we know they're, you know, the pot's boiling over, but uh, they would never do anything, and and they would never take us on, and that was the 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 delusion of Pearl Harbor, but it was an intelligence failure, and nine eleven was an intelligence failure. Um, Glenn Reynolds, another guy we talk about a lot on this show, uh, writing in the New York Post, uh, it's Israel's nine eleven totally unexpected, massive terrorist attack with a huge body count of innocent people. Not as many people died as on 9-11, though proportionately to Israel's population, it was worse for them than 9-11 was for America. And because the assault, he writes, involved shootings, rapes, kidnappings, it seemed somehow more personal than the jets of 9-11. And he says one way that it's identical is the quote-unquote totally unexpected part. Like America's intelligence agencies before 9-11, Israel's security services were caught flat-footed. Both American and Israeli officials are saying this attack was a complete surprise. See, I'm not sure if I believe that. I mean, you'd have to say that. You have to say it. And on 9-11, you probably felt that way, and you probably figured everybody's surprised. Bush is surprised, everybody's surprised. CIA, everybody got caught. But but then as the years went by, now you'd be hard pressed to find anyone in this country of any political persuasion who would go, yeah, no, no, there was no clue, no one had any idea, couldn't have seen it coming, didn't nobody believes that anymore. And that's only twenty plus years. So there's all kinds of comparisons. But I think what they have in common is wasn't an intelligence failure. Or was it a um, look the other way kind of thing? And there's so many ways you can go with that. And it's too early to know. There's no point even speculating because we're so early in this, as the British say, early days. This Friday is our Raul Jimenez Thanksgiving Dinner Radiothon. We'll be broadcasting all day long uh, in the hopes of uh, getting you excited about it and involved in it and making a donation. You can actually do it even now. If you go to KTSA.com homepage, click on the Raul Jimenez Radiothon button. It's there right now. Find out all the deets and uh, join us for that on Friday. We'll have special hours, and we're going to be on longer Friday afternoon and all that good stuff. Um, Join the show right now, 210-599-5555. Jordan Peterson just posted on his uh, ex-account a spectator story that says Hamas is indicating it's open to truce talks with Israel. Uh, Our next guest, I think, will tell us that uh, it may be a little late uh, for that. Uh, Jed Babin is a former deputy undersecretary of defense in the Bush 41 administration, uh, and um, we always like to turn to him on days and stories like these. Uh, Jed, welcome back. Good afternoon to you.
1: Well, thanks, Jack. I appreciate it.
0: I wouldn't think that uh, Israel would be interested in talking to Hamas right now?
1: Well, I think Golda Meir said it about 40 years ago when she said, when someone comes to kill you, it's not possible to negotiate with them. Uh, I think the Israelis have the right idea. Um, The the Hamas people, I mean, Jack, these guys have given up any claim to be members of the human race. I mean, they're they're insects. They need to be dealt with in the strongest possible terms. You know, they've killed babies. There was a story, a a report earlier that, you know, in one town, they would killed 40 babies and children. I mean, they they killed 250 people at that uh, supernova music event. They've kidnapped people, taken them to the Gaza Strip. Uh, there was a, a, the body of a naked, the naked body of an Israeli woman paraded around the streets in Gaza. Uh, you know, it's just, it is amazing to me. These people are Nazis. They are the worst of humanity. And uh, quite frankly, they ought to be dispensed with as uh, quickly as the Israelis can.
0: Please don't misunderstand this question, Jed, but why Why would they do this knowing, the, and certainly they must know the the kind of and caliber of response it would draw from Israel? We all know what Israel is going to do, and they knew it, and why did they do that, this?
1: Well, it's two reasons, really. I mean, they've been Driven by religious fervor, Uh, the Hamas Charter calls for the eradication of Israel. And, you know, just they're doing what their religion requires. Uh, There's also the political question. Uh, You know, we have for the West for the past 50 years, the West has gone in for this political fiction that the Palestinians are downtrodden people. Uh, You know, some of them are. Sure. But the Hamas terrorists are not. These people are funded by Iran, directed by Iran, just like Hezbollah. Uh, the party of God so-called up in Lebanon that has fired some uh, artillery shells or mortar shells at uh, Israel in the past couple of days. I mean, these people do what Iran tells them to do. They're funded by Iran, they're supplied by Iran, and they're commanded by Iran. It's as simple as that.
0: I've heard people speculate that the goal here is to draw a response from Israel that will be so um overwhelming that the the international community will will wind up condemning israel do do you see it going that way
1: i don't see it going that way i mean it may happen later i mean you've got idiots like uh, the squad in our congress you know standing up for hamas uh you know you see demonstrations around the world in favor of hamas i mean these people are just simply morons but i think you're going to see the real objective The Saudi Arabians have been in peace talks with Israel. Uh, Biden has been doing a little bit to nudge them along, although he's trying to now, well, even before now, uh, he was trying to get concessions from Israel to benefit the Palestinians in order to the Saudi deal. Uh, That deal is going to be put on ice. It may be canceled forever. Uh, In terms of spreading the Abraham Accords, Saudi Arabia was the big cheese. I mean, they are the big prize. They should have made a deal with Israel long before now, uh, but right now there's no way they're going to do that. That's what the Palestinians, what Hamas is trying to accomplish.
0: Um, I think my favorite crackpot theory that I've heard the last few days is that this is all because the House of Representatives doesn't have a speaker.
1: <laughs> well, you know.
0: I mean, do you realize, you realize what kind of kaleidoscope you got to be looking at the news through? To think, oh, yeah, if McCarthy had been in there.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's just this is the solipsism that America engages in so many times. Every time we end up in a presidential election year uh, and we're not there yet, thank God. uh, You know, this is the kind of thing everybody turns to the election. Everybody turns to the politics in America. It's got nothing to do with our politics. It's got to do with the Hamas Islamic religion. And it's got to do with the Saudi Pur- pur- purported the Saudi deal with Israel that's all there is to it
0: we uh y- you mentioned it i mentioned it before we got you on um hamas is a is a an arm of uh the iranian regime yes. and and most everyone knows that Do you, as some commentators today do, do you have a problem with the president not mentioning Iran in his statement this afternoon, or or did he really not need to do that?
1: No, I've got a bloody big problem with him not mentioning it. I mean, the Iranians, I mean, the the Hamas people have been bragging that the Iranians approved the whole plan for this invasion, uh, that they supplied a lot of the arms that were used, and, you know, pretty much all of them. So, you know, now you've got the Ayatollah Khamenei uh saying, "Oh yeah, well this proves that Israel is going to be wiped off the map." Uh yeah, this is this is ridiculous. If President Biden is still trying to think kind to, kindly about Iran, he is he is not just misguided, he's dumb.
0: Um this had to be you just mentioned uh a lot of planning and green lighting from Iran. This this, this had to take yep. months if not a year to to put together. Um sure. Is this an intelligence failure, or did people know about this and let it happen,
1: or both? Well, it, it's a massive intelligence failure. The Israelis would never have let this happen. I mean, this is not like, uh, you know, Churchill ignoring the signals from Enigma uh, and allowing a, a, a British city to be bombed. This is not at all like that. This is something that surprised Israel, the Israelis. It's a massive failure of their intelligence and, you know, quite frankly, we've always looked at their intelligence apparatus as uh, this, the gold standard. Uh, they really just have blown it. And, uh, you know, the only thing I can see now, and there are some reports today say that, you know, the the Hamas people stopped using uh, the social media in the days before the attack. So that could have been a signal, but a signal of what? I mean, who knows? I mean, mm. We have the, mm. the same thing going on. Hezbollah fired those mortar shells into Israel a couple of days ago, and they have been quiet ever since. That means nothing. All that means is Iranians haven't gotten the the idea that they should order Hezbollah to attack Israel. There's really nothing you can read into it.
0: We're talking with Jed Babin on KTSA. So uh, tonight it looks like there are 350,000 reservists. Uh, The Israelis have the tank engines running. Uh, They're sitting there on the border. Uh, What will be different about this Ground operation compared to other times we've seen them go in there and you know push back, uh, take out some fighters. What, what's going to what? How will this look different? How long will this take?
1: Well, it will look different because it's going to be bigger and more, you know, quite frankly, more effective uh, at eradicating Hamas than anything that's gone on before. Uh, the Israelis may very well decide to stay in the Gaza Strip, and you know they withdrew all their forces what ten years ago. And uh, they had already uh, had a presence there uh, for years, and they were basically governing the uh, Gaza Strip themselves. Uh, But now they may reestablish that. They may decide that Hamas has run the Gaza Strip, which they did for the past 10 years or more. Uh, They were elected, I think, in 2006 as the government of the Gaza Strip, the Hamas terrorists. Uh, And I think the Israelis may just say, "Okay, we're going to stay this time.
0: I saw where, uh, Marsha Blackburn says she thinks we should, uh, stop the fr- unfreezing or the gradual release of that $6 billion, uh, that Biden released to Iran. Can you really do that?
1: I don't think so. I think the money is already in the bank in Qatar, uh, or Gutter, however you pronounce it. Uh, and I don't think that they're going to do anything to so stop.
0: Did that money, did that money contribute to this?
1: Well, it, it we, we will never know for sure. That it did but we'll never know for sure that it didn't it's one thing that you you can't prove it but you can't it's equally true that you can't disprove it so i would say yes i think it's likely that it went to some or all of that money uh, went straight to hamas
0: and somebody today i thought this was interesting i hadn't even thought of this uh pointed out the depletion of the uh strategic petroleum reserve and said boy that that might be a real problem now uh, given what's about to happen. Uh, do, do you see a connection there?
1: I do. I think that we're going to likely see some more uh, reductions in production from the Saudis. Uh, we're going to be put in a big squeeze uh, on energy, and it's going to be pretty bleak uh, come next year, maybe even sooner. Uh, the SPR was intended not to press the price of gasoline for political purposes, which is exactly what Biden did, uh, but to really help us in an emergency. And we may yet have that emergency. I don't think we're going to have. A, we'll have an oil boycott of the United States. I don't think Kuwait is going to stop. I don't think many other countries are going to stop. Uh, but the Saudis, you know, every time they ratchet down their production, it hurts and gas prices go up. Yeah.
0: Um, are we thinking weeks, months, Ukraine war in length? What are we thinking?
2: Weeks
1: at least, maybe months. And like I said, the Israelis may decide that they're going to stay in the Gaza Strip. So it could be, you know, for years and years and years. Uh, At this point, we just don't know. Uh, It's going to be up to the Israelis. I think it would not be a great idea for them to keep uh, a major presence in the Gaza Strip. I don't think they want to govern that place. And frankly, I don't think it's governable. Uh, It's like a lot of the American cities these days. Uh, It's just not a place that you want to be. They're going to go in there. They're going to be very heavy handed and they should be. Uh, But I think after that, they will, after a few weeks or maybe a month, they'll get out there.
0: Interesting thoughts. I hope we can call on you again and often on this, Jed. Thank you for the time. We appreciate it.
1: Hey, It's my pleasure. We'll be
0: back soon. Sounds good. Jed Babin writes for The Spectator and uh, The Washington Times and is a former uh, Defense Department official under Bush 41, President Bush 41. Rudy is on The Jack Riccardi Show. Rudy, good afternoon.
3: Hey, Jack. Good to have you back. Uh, oh, thank you. My take: I'm I'm just kind of concerned because it's kind of interesting. Our borders have been open for some time, and uh, and then just miraculously, before all this happened, they decided to close them. And uh, and then they've been trying to take away guns for a long time. And if you take a look at Israel's uh, stance on firearms and private ownership, it's it's really really difficult. A lot like you know major cities and states here uh, to have firearms. So they don't really enjoy a Second Amendment like we do. If what would have happened if if they did have a Second Amendment?
0: Um, I Rudy, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know where you got. Hold, uh, hold whoa. I don't know where you got that information. That's not that's not true. Uh, they they are very armed. Very- that that is in fact that is in fact why there have been so many stories of people defending their homes and their villages. And their uh, right, kibitzes they because a,
3: they do have a militia. They do have a civilian yeah. militia, but uh, for for they, they're not they're not
0: disarmed like a Chicago or a or a New York. No, 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 that's not that's not true. No, right.
3: not not quite like that. But if, from what I understand, they're only allowed to have like fifty rounds per year per household and and things like that. So it's not like we, we enjoy here in Texas. Uh, so it's not as prevalent. I know that there's you know over there that uh, everyone has to serve in the military at one point or another, uh, and that's one of the blessings over there is that they were able to do that, but. Uh, you know, with I, I'm not I'm not convinced that there's not terror cells here planning something in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I just well, I mean, I think I think
0: the story so far, the story so far has been that it would have been a lot worse if Israeli citizens had not risen uh, to, to the to the occasion in so many places in so many ways. I mean, yeah, now their army is going to respond but in the in the initial hours your your margin was whether or not you could defend your house or your your family and and a lot of them did and unfortunately some of them uh some of them couldn't uh, but yeah like i was saying before that that that's what this whole debate about the second amendment and do you really need a ar15 that's this is what that's about and and you're right to say sure. that uh we we do, we have no idea what's in this country and neither does our government um they've got some nerve telling us what we need to defend ourselves when they don't know what we would be defending ourselves um, against. Uh, we're going to talk more about it. Rudy, thank you. Uh, grab a line. Join the show. 210-599-5555. Uh, Bono and you two uh, in their residency at the Sphere in Las Vegas uh, changing up uh, the uh, tribute song to Martin Luther King, Pride as a memorial to the Israelis. Take a listen.
4: In the light of what's happened in Israel and Gaza uh, a song about Non-violence seems somewhat ridiculous, even laughable, but our prayers have always been for peace and, uh, and for non-violence, so. But our hearts and our anger, you know where that's pointed. So sing with us. And those... Those beautiful kids about music festival. Early morning, October 7th, as the sun is rising in the desert sky. Stars of David, they took your life but they could not take your pride could not take your pride could not take your pride
0: could not take your pride well uh, I've heard Will Hurd dropped out of the uh, presidential race first of- did you hear Will Hurd was in the presidential race? Oh, wait, maybe I should start with, do, do you remember Will Hurd? <laughs> I'm, not try, I'm not trying to be mean. I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere, right? But Will Hurd running for president was would pretty much have been like me running for president. I mean, Will Hurd had a couple of terms in Congress, I think two or three. We had him on the show many times. I was very impressed with him because he wasn't like a lot of these Congress critters that are just lawyers and have never done anything. He'd he done some stuff. He'd been in the CIA, he'd been in the field. He he did not have a stellar time in Congress, but he had some substance. He had a brain, and um, he gets in there, the, the 23rd District, and um, it started to go downhill. I remember he took that car trip with Beto. Got a little worried about that. They did this, like, do you remember that Don? They did like this bro road trip, where they were going to see the country and show that uh, Republicans and Democrats could work together. I had forgotten about
1: it, but I do remember yeah. it now. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'd be like, would be like, that would be like, uh, be like me and Jake Tapper. Get, <laughs> Maybe you'll have getting a- in a getting in that rental Corolla and just. Uh,
3: have a, yeah, cr- a cry in Jag. But,
0: uh, and and cry together, yeah. So anyway, Will Hurd, um, he, he, got out of, he got out of Congress, he wrote a book, and he um, was running for president, and now he's dropped out of the race. He's the first Republican to drop out. And he's endorsed Nikki Haley. I don't know what she did to bring that on. But Will Hurd, all kidding aside, and I know I'm being snarky, all, all kidding aside, Will Hurd is to me... Um, and I like him personally, and I'm not, this is not, I don't have a beef with him, and he he was always extremely nice to me, and he came on the show a lot. But Will Hurd got deranged by Donald Trump. He got, he got his brain scrambled by Donald Trump. And, and this is, this is a problem in the Republican Party. You can dislike Donald Trump. You can disapprove of Donald Trump. You can favor someone else. You can say, we, we, he's not the right guy. He's not, Cut. he's not presidential timber, he's not cut out for the job, I don't like, that's fine. But don't lose your ever-loving mind over it. Don't go crazy over it. Don't see everything through the prism of Donald Trump. And that's what happened to Will Hurd, a bright guy with maybe a bright political future, I don't know, I'm not saying he was on a fast track, because I I, I think, you know, he was kind of a low-key guy, might never have, you know, gone places, but but I think what derailed him was people began to get the idea, and I'm one of those people, that he thought Donald Trump was the greatest problem the country was facing, and and that isn't true. In fact, no person in either political party that you dislike or disagree with is the greatest threat to the country. The greatest threat to the country are people that want to destroy the country or blow it up or kill you or spread anthrax or, you know what I mean? You, you, you've you got to keep proportionality. And if you call yourself a conservative, you have a lot more to fear from an out-of-control IRS than you do Donald Trump. If If half the stuff they said about Trump was true, he still wouldn't be as dangerous to your liberty or your way of life as the fact that the federal government is swelling out of all proportion and constitutionality. It is sucking up all of the available GDP. It is taking the place of institutions and, and roles that private citizens should be playing. It's trying to be parents. It's trying to be everything. It's becoming a church. It's becoming a climate uh, control uh, think tank. It's attempting to define which appliances you should have in your home and in your driveway. So I just you lose me, and you don't get me back. If you can't see that anymore, if if Trump or or anybody, Obama, I don't care who it is, if any of these people become such a bete noir to you that you can't see the real threat anymore. You don't know what's really happening around us and to us. You kind of become a clown. You kind of become, I don't know, a figure of some, maybe even some sympathy. And that's that's the thing about Will Hurd and so many others is that, okay, They were turned off by Trump or they were revolted by Trump or they found him aesthetically displeasing or they didn't like the way he looked or his hair or his smell or whatever. I don't know what it was. And maybe, you know, I've never met Trump. I've never been anywhere near him. Maybe Will Hurd was around him and, boy, you know, I just got this terrible vibe. He's not a good person. Okay, that's fine. But it can't become the prism through which you see everything, and it did for him. And eventually he couldn't make sense about the border and terrorism and the budget and taxes because everything was his, his um, you know, TDS. Speaking of Trump, by the way, <laughs> sorry, Will Hurd. Um, there's a uh, pollster named Nathan Klein, who I've never heard of, but I read a story in Daily Caller. Uh, who says uh, there is a trend in the polls that indicate Trump is leading in the battleground states. And Klein is quoted as saying Trump can absolutely win a general election. Uh, not only is he head nationally in polls, but he's ahead in battleground states, Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, uh, and not by the margin of error, by more than the margin of error. And if you think about the 2020 election and you shift a handful of states and maybe 50 or 100,000 votes, uh you probably shift the election. And Klein's point is, just with the economy alone, we've probably shifted 100,000 votes in those states. I mean, j- j- just that alone. Biden's likability and approval ratings are low and have stayed low. And the money quote in the article is... um If the choice is between two candidates with 35 to 40% favorables, voters are likely to choose the one who had the better economy, and that's Trump. Notice that Trump hasn't said too much about Israel. He really doesn't have to, because right now it's what Biden is saying and doing and not doing that makes the the argument. I kind of feel that way about Trump in general. I don't know how you do, but I, I... there's so much he doesn't have to say. I mean, obviously we've established he doesn't have to be in the debates. We've established that not being in the debates and repeatedly getting indicted seems to have done him no harm. I wonder if his people have figured out that there's a whole lot of stuff he can just not comment on. And we, the voters, are able to make the the comparison, the side-by-side comparison is just there. And I think this guy Klein is right, that it may just be as simple as, that was a better economy, I'd like that economy, um, let's go back to that, let's, let's put that guy in charge. And Trump, because he was a businessman, can credibly say, I'm the reason that economy was good, whereas another politician, we might look at him and go, well, yeah, well, that was a good economy. Well, you were president, but it had nothing to do with you, or you didn't even know you didn't even know what you were doing. Like we don't we don't know that you made it better. Maybe you just were president at a moment that it was better. But with Trump, there is the perception, at least, that he had ideas about it, instituted policies, and was therefore the author of an economy. Now people think of very nostalgically so. Um, Yeah, I think that's probably true. Where will the Will Heard vote go? All right, I'll stop. I'm sorry. I really liked this. I want to play this for you. This is Jonathan Greenblatt, who is the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, ADL. MSNBC, I, I don't know the name of this anchor, but they invite him onto this MSNBC show to talk about the attack on Israel. And he, this guy, went off. And was very interesting, not only about what's happening, but took the network to task on their own airwaves. Uh, Listen to Jonathan Greenblatt, cut number two.
5: So I will be honest and maybe a little more vulnerable than I normally would be. These have been some of the hardest days of my adult life. I don't ever remember a moment like this. Um, I have family in Israel right now under siege and being deployed to the front lines. I have staff who can't locate their family. I have friends who are gone. Um, And I think Ambassador Danone put it well, in a context that Americans can understand 9-11, the evil that was perpetrated here. But the scale, Jonathan, the right comparison is Nagasaki. This was like an atomic bomb. And as 40,000 people were killed in Japan, when they dropped that bomb in Nagasaki, so too were the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people who were killed in Israel. And so while I am sad and cope trying to cope, I'll be honest, I am angry. I am angry with the world that allowed the dehumanization of Israelis and sanitized the terrorism of Hamas. I must say, I love this show and I love this network. But I've got to ask, who is writing the scripts? Hamas, the people who did this, they are not fighters, Jonathan. They are not militants. And I'm looking right at the camera. They are terrorists. It is a barbarian who rapes and brutalizes women, who kills children in front of their parents. And then brings them over to Gaza, who literally, we've heard all these reports and we know these aren't just reports. These were filmed gleefully by the barbarians who committed these grotesque crimes. They filmed, for example, an elderly woman in her home in one of these towns. They burned her alive in her house because she was too infirm to take out. And, you know, parading women bleeding from the crotch because they were raped throughout Gaza while people hoot and holler and cheer. So look, you know, when we say, oh, this was an escalation, it was bound to happen, I am sorry. This was a massacre that was preplanned. This was not destined to happen. It is not normal to shoot teenagers in the back, hundreds of them. So I just think, like, guys, Get the story right and all these pictures of like you know missiles or the rubble in gaza please talk to the israeli mothers and fathers who lost their children talk to the grandchildren whose grandparents were seized as hostages and please stop calling this a retaliation this is a defensive measure against an organization that is committed to one thing killing Jews, not a peaceful resolution of a conflict, mm. but murdering Jews. And if you're wondering if I'm exaggerating, please, I beg of you, everyone watching and everyone at this network, just watch the footage.
0: Do your job. Well said. That's 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 fantastic. That's a really good three minutes of, of analysis. You know, I, I can't help but, and again, I... I I know we shouldn't make too many comparisons in the early days here, but they're saying intelligence failure, right? And that's what we said after 9-11. Failure to, I mean, they must have a lot of spies in Gaza, so are are these people just bad at what they do? Or um, were they compromised in some way? And then you remember, remember how when Trump was president, we came to find out that our intelligence community was basically organizing against him. They were colluding with his political opponents because they had decided he was unfit or perhaps even decided that he was a danger to them. Trump was just um, unorthodox enough to maybe say, hey, I'm going to blow this whole intelligence complex up and we're going to start all over again. Which Kennedy also was apparently had a yen to do. And in Israel, I I remember reading, and I'll have to go back and and refresh my memory, but it came out that when when Netanyahu was last prime minister, remember he's been in and out of office like three times. When he was last prime minister, it turns out that they were organizing, Israeli intelligence agencies were organizing his opposition. They were protesting. They were aiding his political opponents. All the same kind of mindset, maybe not exactly the same actions, the same mindset. This guy's NG, he's not our our kind of person. Uh, We're so patriotic, and we know what to do, and even though it's a democracy, deep state stuff in Israel. Is it possible that the Israelis took their eye off the ball? That they were so focused on their enemy Netanyahu, that they didn't pay enough attention uh, to the enemy that is now slaughtering them. And if that's true, what does that say about our intelligence community? What what are they not doing on all the days that they are, you know, pearl-clutching over Trump? You wonder, right? Because, yes, you can do more than one thing at a time, but... We all know that if you obsess about something in your life, you really, really zero in on it. It often turns out that later on you took your eye off something else. And so I wonder. I wonder if our, the politicization of our intelligence agencies is, is leading to or could lead to a quote unquote surprise none of us saw coming except oh we should have. And and it just of all the countries in the world, to quote unquote be caught off guard they are they are literally the last country you'd expect and we are probably the second to last. Friday is our radiothon to uh, support the Raul Jimenez Thanksgiving dinner, big tradition here in San Antonio, many 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 years. And, um We traditionally would have this day. Where we would go on the air and online and ask you to make a donation, and we're going to do that on Friday, but you can actually donate right now. And uh, it doesn't mean we don't want you to join us on Friday, okay? I'm not I'm not letting you off the hook. But if you but if you're afraid you'll forget and you want to give the money now, or or you want to give some money now and give some money on Friday, I don't want to get carried away. Uh, you can donate now at ktsa.com. Look on the homepage for that. This was a good this was a good piece by a guy named Kurt Chester who I like to read. I can't care more about blue cities than their voters do. He writes, "What we're seeing in the democratic cities is a total breakdown of civilization." You, you and I have said that many times, right? You don't have a civilization when normal people can't walk down the street without having to dodge junkies, piles of human waste, knife-wielding maniacs. You have chaos. But chaos is okay with the inhabitants of the democratic big cities. I know that, he writes, because they keep electing people who allow their cities to be chaotic. I'm supposed to be outraged and upset by this, but my caring bandwidth is limited. I can only care about so much. And what I cannot do is care more about the plight than the blue voters, uh, the plight that the blue voters have placed themselves in than the blue voters who elected the democrats to allow this happen to do. So he's saying, which we've said many times, and you've heard many people say, it's their problem, they elected it, they have to live with it. And I think he's right about that. He goes on to say, it's not that I don't want them to have better lives and safer and clean streets. I, I think they should, but apparently they don't think they should. And he says, I'm not gloating over their misfortunes, but I'm not going to waste time thinking about people that didn't think before they voted or keep voting for the same failures. And um, I was traveling while I was away for a few days, and I was in a very blue part of the country. And it does appear at first glance that... um, yeah these the folks that live in in these cities and states they consistently um faithfully um elect democrats and i don't mean it like it's close i mean like the, the republicans have no chance in any of these races there are no politicians there are no political choices you and i here here in san antonio would recognize as conservative or even Right of center they they don't they're not rejecting conservative candidates they don't have them, okay, and so at first glance, you're like, well, these cities smell bad, look bad, don't feel safe, don't work very well. I guess this is what they want that's what he's saying in this article, but I do get the feeling, and I've said this down here, and I'm going to say it about up there too i I, I do get the feeling that people are starting to notice that things are much worse than they should be or could be. And it could be that things are getting worse, or it could be that people are suddenly noticing how bad things have gotten. Let me give you a few examples. People are people in sanctuary cities are starting to get really poed about the illegal immigrant crisis. Okay, they're they're really starting to hate living in sanctuary cities. They're not they're probably not prepared to vote for Trump, but they're they're looking for an alternative to being a sanctuary city, or they don't at least they don't want the <laughs> maybe they still want the name, but they don't want the what it means, right? And then um, schools. People are starting to really notice how crushingly disappointing uh, public education has been. The school closures, the craziness with trans. Um, The Israel thing broke while I was up there. Um, People were horrified. They did not seem confident in the assurances coming out of the White House or the Congress. I, I feel like we're still sleepwalking, but maybe we're starting to toss and turn a little bit. It's a terrible metaphor, I'm sorry. But you know what I mean? I, I it, We're not there, but I think people are starting to notice. What do you think? 210 599 And it will take time and it will be slow. It will be frustratingly slow. Things that you think are obvious, how can anybody not see that, or how can they keep voting for that? It'll take a long time because people have to unlearn habits in order to adopt new habits or expectations. And one of the things that moves people is their own children. Like you can have all your ducks in a row and be a good Chardonnay limousine liberal and then something happens to your daughter in her dormitory or out on the street. And I don't know a parent that doesn't go into, you know, grizzly mode at that point. And it doesn't convert you all at once, but it chips away at your smugness about left-wing, capital-D, Democratic politics. That's what's happening right now. I think the the chipping away is starting to happen. Now, again, it, (laughs) it will take a long time, and these people do not have alternatives. In blue cities and states, there isn't a sane candidate or a sane alternative just sitting there waiting to be called on. And... We've even seen it here in San Antonio, right? Like, probably some of the best people who could run for city council or mayor are not going to because they don't live in San Antonio anymore, because they've moved out of the city limits. They've moved into the county, or they've moved to Floresville or Cibolo or whatever because they just, they get tired of it. and They want their kids to go to a smaller school district with less political correctness, and they want... Lower taxes and they want their business not to be regulated to death, so they are still in the San Antonio area, and when they travel they still tell people, "Where are you from? Oh, I'm from San Antonio, but they they live in places like Bernie or Castroville or whatever because it's a little freer and it's, it feels a little more comfortable and and so those people are not available to participate in our politics anymore. Well, that's happened on an even bigger scale in these blue cities and states. Like people that think like you and me, they, they moved out of those sanctuary cities. They don't, they didn't stay there. They got out and they probably got out a long time ago. So that's why it's going to take a while for things to change or evolve. and i may be jumping the gun but i just I, i'm starting to see i think we're starting to see a disillusionment with what they thought they wanted they they got everything they wanted right they got they got they got the schools they got the gun laws they got the taxes they got everything. i'm telling you they're not happy with it in fact some of the, some of them are downright miserable and that's what it takes you know they gotta they gotta climb down from positions they took that involve ego and you know what will my friends think That's a big thing too. I don't know if you 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 probably are not like this. I'm not like this, but there's a lot of people that can only vote or at least express opinions that they know are like the people around them. It is incredibly uncomfortable for them to disagree with their friends about Ukraine or, or uh, you know, Biden or abortion or anything like that. And if they're having, like, a crisis of conscience about it, it's private. They don't, they don't say to their friends, hey, did you ever think maybe we're wrong, or I'm starting to rethink that. No, because you won't be invited to the parties. You won't be able to talk to the other moms waiting to pick up their kids. I mean, it's very, that's a very hard thing to do in these blue cities and states. So... It's gonna take a long time. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, um, I feel like there's a lot of people right now who um, they've heard a little bit, or they've maybe read a little bit, or they've looked in their social media feeds. There's kind of a um there's a kind of person out there. You probably have gotten in arguments with them maybe on Facebook or Twitter or co-worker or somebody in your family. They know a little bit, but they don't know history. They have some stuff backwards about history. They're just kind of morally confused. They know just enough to start the argument. They f- flip out if you correct them on facts. Like, well, no, actually, this country started that war, not that country. Um, They're just morally confused. Like, I'm looking at the American left right now, and not all of them, and I don't mean to generalize, but a, a lot of them are trying to suggest that Uh, Israel and Hamas are both equally to blame, and they're both bad, and they've both done things, and the Palestinians are the real victims. And I wonder if it's just a question of, and and I know this is going to make people mad, which, to be honest, is partly why I'm saying it, but I also really do wonder. I just wonder if the more you try to understand your world and people... Without any belief in a higher power, the more morally confusing that has to be. If you have no fixed sense of right i'm not trying to I'm not trying to convert you to my religion or my church. I'm just saying if you have no fixed sense of right and wrong, if nothing is objectively absolutely right and wrong, you use those words, we all use them. But you know some people throw them around and its right can be redefined and nothing's written in stone and the Constitution's a living document and the Catholic Church has to change with times and all that stuff. You know, if you're one of those people, no wonder you're morally confused. You, the world is moving at a, you know, supersonic rate and there's all this maniacal, diabolical stuff going on. And you're trying to put it in order, but you don't recognize that there is any order. You don't recognize that you are beneath something or under the aegis of something. You don't recognize that you have a maker or a creator or that there's a plan, right? And and so I wonder if that's the, the moral confusion that we see. I mean, I know some of it is Trump delusion like we were talking about with Will Hurd, but we have this going on even before Trump, so it's not all him yes it is it's all him no it's not it's just got to be hard to try to make sense of a world that you are the god of or that has no god and when i listen to a lot of people i'm not just talking about the squad and some of the really you know i don't i don't want to pick out the most egregious examples and say they that's the whole american left but when I listen to a lot of people, and I and I heard a lot of it while I was up north, uh, they're on the wrong side of everything. And, yeah, they have a weak grasp of history, but more than that, they are just um, morally out at sea, drifting. They don't know. They don't have a compass. They're at the mercy of the, the currents. Um, and so they bluff and bluster with this kind of certainty and they declare who their enemies are and who the real problem is louder than their confidence would suggest. And there may be a lot of reasons for that, and I'm just throwing out one of them. But it does help when you're trying to understand why is this happening or w- how should i feel about this or what should my response to this be it it helps if you have an operating system for your life where you believe you are someone's creation and made intentionally and purposefully by a god that who, whose whose rights and wrongs don't don't actually fluctuate with the times. I, I, don't, I wouldn't know how to live in a world where I could just change what was right and wrong every few years, but there are people that live like that. Lots of them. I wanted to um, reprise our uh, conversation with uh, Jed Babin from earlier, had a lot of questions for Jed about uh, what is going on with Israel and Hamas. Here is some of that conversation uh, that we had just a little while ago. Jordan Peterson just posted on his uh, ex-account a spectator story that says Hamas is indicating it's open to truce talks with Israel. Uh, Our next guest, I think, will tell us that uh, it may be a little late uh, for that. Uh, Jed Babin is a former deputy undersecretary of defense in the Bush 41 administration, uh, and um, we always like to turn to him on days and stories like these. Uh, Jed, welcome back. Good afternoon to you.
1: Well, thanks, Jack. I appreciate it.
0: I wouldn't think that uh, Israel would be interested in talking to Hamas right now.
1: Well, I think Golda Meir said it about 40 years ago when she said, when someone comes to kill you, it's not possible to negotiate with them. Uh, yeah. I think the Israelis have the right idea. Uh, the, the Hamas people, I mean, Jack, these guys have given up any claim to be members of the human race. I mean, they're they're insects. They need to be dealt with in the strongest possible terms. You know, they've killed babies. There was a story, a report a report earlier that, you know, in one town, they killed 40 babies and children. I mean, they they killed 250 people at that uh, Supernova music event. They've kidnapped people, taken them to the Gaza Strip. Uh, there was a, a, the body of a naked, the naked body of an Israeli woman paraded around the streets in Gaza. Uh, you know, it's just, it is amazing to me. These people are Nazis they are the worst of humanity and uh, quite frankly they ought to be dispensed with as uh, quickly as the Israelis can
0: please don't misunderstand this question jed but why why would they do this knowing the and certainly they must know the the kind of and caliber of response it would draw from israel we all know what israel is going to do and they knew it and why did they do that, this this
1: well, it's two reasons, really. I mean, they've been driven by religious fervor. Uh, the Hamas charter calls for the eradication of Israel. And, you know, just they're doing what their religion requires. Uh, there's also the political question. Uh, you know, we have for the West for the past 50 years, the West has gone in for this political fiction that the Palestinians are a downtrodden people. Uh, you know, some of them are. Sure. But the Hamas terrorists are not. These people are funded by Iran directed by Iran, just like Hezbollah, uh, the party of God so-called up in Lebanon that has fired some uh, artillery shells or mortar shells at uh, Israel in the past couple of days. I mean, these people do what Iran tells them to do. They're funded by Iran, they're supplied by Iran, and they're commanded by Iran. It's as simple as that.
0: I've heard people speculate that the goal here is to draw a response from Israel that will be so um, overwhelming that the, the international community will, will wind up condemning Israel. Do, do you see it going that way?
1: I don't see it going that way. I mean, it may happen later. I mean, you've got idiots like uh, the squad in our Congress, you know, standing up for Hamas. Uh, you know, you see demonstrations around the world in favor of Hamas. I mean, these people are just simply morons. But I think you're going to see the real objective The Saudi Arabians have been in peace talks with Israel. Uh, Biden has been doing a little bit to nudge them along, although he's trying to now, well, even before now, uh, he was trying to get concessions from Israel to benefit the Palestinians in order to get the Saudi deal. Uh, That deal is going to be put on ice. It may be canceled forever. Uh, In terms of spreading the Abraham Accords, Saudi Arabia was the big cheese. I mean, they are the big prize. They should have made a deal with Israel long before now, uh, but right now there's no way they're going to do that. That's what the Palestinians, what Hamas is trying to accomplish.
0: Um, I think my favorite crackpot theory that I've heard the last few days is that this is all because the House of Representatives doesn't have a speaker.
1: <laughs> well, you know. I
0: mean, do you realize, do you realize what kind of kaleidoscope you got to be looking at the news through? To think, oh, yeah, if McCarthy had been in there.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's just this is the solipsism that America engages in so many times. Every time we end up in a presidential election year uh, and we're not there yet, thank God. uh, You know, this is the kind of thing everybody turns to the election. Everybody turns to the politics in America. It's got nothing to do with our politics. It's got to do with the Hamas Islamic religion. And it's got to do with the Saudi Pur- 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 purported the purported Saudi deal with Israel—that's all there is to it.
0: We—you uh, y- mentioned it. I mentioned it before we got you on. Um, Hamas is a is a an arm of uh, the Iranian regime, yes. and, and most everyone knows that. Uh, do you as some commentators today do do you have a problem with the president not mentioning Iran in his statement this afternoon or or did he really not need to do that
1: No I've got a bloody big problem with him not mentioning it I mean the Iranians I mean the, the Hamas people have been bragging that the Iranians approved the whole plan for this invasion uh that they supplied a lot of the arms that were used and you know pretty much all of them so, you know, now you've got the Ayatollah Khamenei uh saying, Oh yeah, well this proves that Israel is going to be wiped off the map. Uh yeah, this is this is ridiculous. If President Biden is still trying to think kind to, kindly about Iran, he is he is not just misguided. He's dumb.
3: Um
0: this had to be you just mentioned uh a lot of planning and green lighting from Iran. This 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 had to take yep. months, if not a year, to to put together. Um sure. Is this an intelligence failure, or did people know about this and let it happen,
1: or both? Well, it, it's a massive intelligence failure. The Israelis would never have let this happen. I mean, this is not like, uh, you know, Churchill ignoring the signals from Enigma uh, and, and allowing a, a, a British city to be bombed. This is not at all like that. This is something that surprised Israel, the Israelis. It's a massive failure of their intelligence and, you know, quite frankly, we've always looked at their intelligence apparatus as uh, this, the gold standard. Uh, they really just have blown it. And, uh, you know, the only thing I can see now, and there are some reports today to say that, you know, the the Hamas people stopped using uh, the social media in the days before the attack. So that could have been a signal, but a signal of what? I mean, who knows? I mean, mm. We have the, mm. the same thing going on. Hezbollah fired those mortar shells into Israel. Uh, A couple of days ago, and they have been quiet ever since. That means nothing. All that means is Iranians haven't gotten the the idea that they should order Hezbollah to attack Israel. There's really nothing you can read into it.
0: We're talking with Jed Babin on KTSA. So uh, tonight, it looks like there are 350,000 reservists. Uh, The Israelis have the tank engines running, Uh, they're sitting there on the border. Uh, What will be different about this? Ground operation compared to other times, we've seen them go in there and you know push back, uh, take out some fighters. What, what's going to what? How will this look different? How long will this take?
1: Well, it will look different because it's going to be bigger and more, you know, quite frankly, more effective uh, at eradicating Hamas than anything that's gone on before. Uh, the Israelis may very well decide to stay in the Gaza Strip, and you know they withdrew all their forces what ten years ago. And uh, they had already uh, had a presence there uh, for years, and they were basically governing the uh, Gaza Strip themselves. Uh, But now they may reestablish that. They may decide that Hamas has run the Gaza Strip, which they did for the past 10 years or more. Uh, They were elected, I think, in 2006 as the government of the Gaza Strip, the Hamas terrorists. Uh, And I think the Israelis may just say, okay, we're going to stay this time.
0: I saw where uh, Marsha Blackburn says she thinks we should uh, stop the fr- unfreezing or the gradual release of that six billion dollars uh, that Biden released to Iran. Can you really do that?
1: I don't think so. I think the money is already in a bank in Qatar uh, or Gutter, however you pronounce it, uh, and I don't think that they're going to do anything to so stop.
0: Did that money? Did that money contribute to this?
1: Well, it, it, we we will never know for sure. That it did but we'll never know for sure that it didn't it's one thing that you you can't prove it but you can't it's equally true that you can't disprove it so i would say yes i think it's likely that it went to some or all of that money uh went straight to hamas
0: and somebody today i thought this was interesting i hadn't even thought of this uh pointed out the depletion of the uh strategic petroleum reserve and said boy that that might be a real problem now uh, given what's about to happen. Uh, do, do you see a connection there?
1: I do. I think that we're going to likely see some more uh, reductions in production from the Saudis. Uh, we're going to be put in a big squeeze uh, on energy, and it's going to be pretty bleak uh, come next year, maybe even sooner. Uh, the SPR was intended not to press the price of gasoline for political purposes, which is exactly what Biden did, uh, but to really help us in an emergency. And we may yet have that emergency. I don't think we're going to have. An, we'll have an oil boycott of the United States. I don't think Kuwait is going to stop. I don't think many other countries are going to stop. Uh, but the Saudis, you know, every time they ratchet down their production, it hurts and gas prices go up. Yeah.
0: Um, are we thinking weeks, months, Ukraine war in length? What are we thinking?
1: Weeks at least, maybe months. And like I said, the Israelis may decide that they're going to stay in the Gaza Strip. So it could be you know, for years and years and years. Uh, at this point, we just don't know. Uh, it's going to be up to the Israelis. I think it would not be a great idea for them to keep uh, a major presence in the Gaza Strip. I don't think they want to govern that place. And frankly, I don't think it's governable. Uh, it's like a lot of the American cities these days. Uh, it's just not a place that you want to be. They're going to go in there. They're going to be very heavy-handed, and they should be. Uh, but I think after that, they will, after a few weeks or Maybe a month they'll get there.
0: Let's talk about that. Uh, Jed Babbin was with us earlier, and I want to get your thoughts on what's going on here in this uh, crazy world of ours. Paul is on the radio. Paul, welcome to the show.
6: Yes, sir. Doug. I've got a little different slant on this thing. I haven't heard one person say that the that Hamas, Hamas, whatever the hell you want to call it, they're the ones that have their thumb on the Palestinians, not, not the Israelis. I mean, think about it. They can't govern themselves. They can't accept money from anyone. Hamas, Hamas takes it, and they do whatever they're going to do with it. So, I mean, they're in a losing position. I guess for 2,000 years, they've been ruled, and they don't know how to rule themselves.
0: Oh, I think that's a great point, Paul. I mean, what you're saying basically is, uh, the oppression of the Palestinians or the people on the, on the strip, the oppression is coming from Hamas. It's not coming from Israel. A- and that's really the problem with the whole Middle East is you've got people living like it's the seventh century, convinced that America is to blame for that when their own local just down on the corner despots are to blame for that
6: exactly and and think about it it's sort of like the democrats ruling the minority class here in america um although and pointing the
0: finger at everybody else for what what you know what's wrong or what's lacking yeah i think that's a great i think that's a great comparison um and i mean so what you're saying is that's an old trick i mean it's a trick that works that's why people keep doing it you 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 blame somebody else for what you're doing. You get people all amped up and angry and fired up, and they're in the streets screaming and yelling, and you, you point out to them who their enemy is, and they forget to notice that really you're their enemy.
6: Exactly. And here's the difference. In America, supposedly, we've got a, um, a, a voting system that's honest, et cetera, and I, I heard that they had a vote, in uh, in the in, there, but that that Hamas won. Well, you can damn well bet that was not a yeah. legal vote.
0: Right, right. But no, I, th- I think I, I'm glad you I'm glad you said it. I have heard people say it, but not not enough, Paul. And it's a it's a really good point. I appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Uh, thanks for calling our show. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I mention him all the time. People think I get money for this, and I don't. But I'm going to say it again, what what Paul just pointed out is what a book that I highly recommend you read called The Looming Tower talks about. It's by a guy named Lawrence Wright. I think he's a Texan. Lawrence Wright wrote this book a long time ago. It was after 9-11, but it was probably 15 or more years ago. And the premise of the book is that if you want to know where radical Islam came from, it didn't start with... or 1998 or bin Laden. It started with people that were living in poverty and misery and without any of the accoutrements of modern life. You know, I I mean, I exaggerate maybe a little to say like, like it's the 7th century. People that are living in misery and poverty, no hope, no progress. Somebody comes along and says, you know why you're miserable and you don't have modern medicine and you're starving and your children are born malnourished you know why it's the decadent west it's all the sex and 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 uh immorality of of New York and London and Paris and those countries have have robbed you of your birthright of of your civilization and your progress and and people were were Willing to believe that it must be somebody's fault that I'm living in poverty. And here's a guy explaining why I'm living in poverty. And no one's ever taken the time to tell me why I'm living in poverty. So I guess he's right. And I'm going to start, you know, stirring and, and stewing, I should say, my anger toward those decadent Westerners. It's Western civilization's fault. And they stole from us and they held us down and they've got their boot on our throat. Now, in reality, there might have been a little exploitation for oil and stuff like that. And there was some colonization and stuff like that. And there may have been a little bit of neglect or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) But for the most part, Western civilization hadn't given any thought to these people, much less concentrated and colluded on their misery. But an entire movement and an entire power base grew up out of this cultivation of resentment, and and he writes about it in the book *The Looming Tower*. And and so, I think you could do that anywhere. I think you could do that in a neighborhood in San Antonio. I think you could do that in a department of your company. I think you could do it in a, in a part of your family. You could you could convince people who are already unhappy or don't like their plight in life, that this person over here. See her, see him. He did this to you, and people are happy to have it explained. Yes, sometimes people are critical thinkers and go, well, "Wait, wait, wait how, how how did that work? Or why why are we why are we angry at them? They're way over there." No, there's people like that, but a lot of people are just very happy to have someone to hate, someone to blame it all on, a hook to hang everything on. I think that does explain it. But you know what we have? Paul started his call by saying, here's something we haven't talked about. You know what we're not talking about in this? I I shouldn't say this because I've been away for three days. Maybe you did talk about it. But I have not heard too many people take this story about Israel and Hamas and bring it back to this country. I can't help but think about how the 9-11 hijackers came into this country on visas that were then basically lost in the system. I think they were mostly student visas, right? So you had like a a bureaucratic failure of a system that allowed these guys to come in, learn how to fly the planes, box cutters, 3,000 people are dead. And we're still taking our damn shoes off at the airport. Now, 2023, it wouldn't take any kind of visa. People like that could be in this country for just walking into the country. We knew who the hijackers were because we had them in the system. We just had to go look it up. And it was a little late because the buildings had already fallen down. But remember, we knew who they were the next day. If a 9-11 or something of the the nature of what we've seen in Israel these last few days, were that to occur here now, I don't think you'd have that. I don't think the people who would pull that off or could pull that off are on anybody's database or in anybody's system. It almost sounds like, boy, (laughs) We were all very angry when we found out how it happened and what a failure it was to connect the dots, but at least there were dots in 2001. And now there isn't. And if if anything, if you're kind of having trouble finding your way into the Israel story or you're wondering why do we... Why do we care so much about this or why are people talking about this? No offense, but what does this mean to me or what does this have to do with me? This is what it has to do with you. Because the people that are doing this come from a movement that has been taught you, you, listening to me right now, and your country and your flag and your government and your military are the authors of all their misery if they if you think they were bloodthirsty toward the Israelis, imagine what they would like to do to the great Satan imagine the the misery they'd like to visit upon this country and what are what kind of position or posture are we in? I would say not a very good one you know you can you can say what you want about Trump. And it doesn't have to be Trump. You can hate him. (laughs) I'm telling you right now, this is complete BS, what we have allowed to happen on the southern border of this country. We have no idea who's here, and even if 99.99% of them are beautiful, lovely people. I'll bet you there's more than 20 of them. Was that what we had on 9-11? 20? I think it was 20, right? 19 or 20? I bet there's more than 20 of them that would like to slit throats, kill children, wreak havoc on families. Would you be willing to say, whatever your politics are, even if you disagree with me about everything, could there be 20 of them in a system that's allowed millions in, doesn't know where they are, doesn't know who they are? We keep keep apprehending people from terror watch countries on our border, so we know that we're missing some. We probably catch the ones that are not very crafty, which means the most dangerous ones get in because they don't get caught. I mean, we're going to look back and we're going to say, yeah, there may have been failures, red flags, dots weren't connected, but at least you had things to fail with in 2001. Jack on KTSA, uh, coming up the results on our poll question about uh, President Biden's response to the attack on Israel. Here's a little of what he had to say this afternoon. Cut number three.
2: You know, there are moments in this life, and I mean this literally, when the pure, unadulterated evil is unleashed on this world. The people of Israel live through one such moment this weekend bloody hands of the terrorist organization Hamas, a group whose stated purpose for being is to kill Jews. This was an act of sheer evil. More than 1,000 civilians slaughtered, not just killed, slaughtered in Israel. Among them, at least 14 American citizens killed. Parents butchered, using their bodies to try to protect their children. Stomach-turning reports of babies being killed. Entire families slain. Young people massacred while attending a musical festival to celebrate peace, to celebrate peace. Women raped, assaulted, paraded as trophies. Families hid their fear for hours and hours, desperately trying to keep their children quiet to avoid drawing attention. So in this moment, we must be crystal clear We stand with Israel.
0: That is some of what he had to say today, and we're going to ask you about that on the poll question here coming up. If you go back, uh, people are making the comparison to the the Nazis, the Holocaust, the final solution. It's not a perfect comparison, obviously, but um, if you go back 90 years, it's true that there were Americans who either sympathized with the Nazis or, you know, chose to look at them through rose-colored glasses. Like, well, they have good attributes. Those tended to be pretty ignorant people. Like, they should have known better, but they didn't know better. A lot of people are noticing today, I had a lot of email about this, in fact, I had somebody accuse me of not bringing this up on the show because I went to Harvard, which is not true. <laughs> I mean, I didn't go to Harvard. That, that's, that's not true. Some um, people are noticing that, that, that statement signed by hundreds of Harvard students of solidarity with Hamas uh, blaming the apartheid regime, as they refer to Israel, or what happened, and saying, how can this be? How can how can smart people be so wrong about this? Um, I, I would point out a couple of things. You could be at Harvard and not be very smart. I mean, I know you're supposed to be smart when you get out of there, but let's remember what we've done to admissions, to affirmative action, Let's remember all the ways we've warped and distorted meritocracy when it comes to higher education and admissions in the first place. So I wouldn't presume that these student groups that signed this letter are made up of really bright boys and girls. I mean, some of them may be. But the other thing that I think is interesting about this is... They could just be wrong about Israel. Or this could be a glimpse of what it would be like to live under their rule, their power. These are the bright young things who, in theory at least, will someday be running companies and holding high government office. Um if they can't condemn the slaughter of innocence what would they do to you or me because in their eyes we're not innocent we have wrong opinions we are uh dangerously wrong on issues and if they if they can be this blasé about What just happened over there? What's it gonna be like to live under them or their power here? I don't wanna take the blame off of them, but I I do think you you need to look at what's been poured into their heads and all the influences that go into K through 12 education, higher education, admissions, um, by the way, a lot of these students are law students, and it just makes you wonder. I, I remember thinking this during the George Floyd riots too. Like, y- you, you're you're studying to be a lawyer, which means you will be an officer of the court, which means that you will have responsibility for the enforcement and execution of our laws, yet you are calling for the dismantling of all this? It's frightening, you know? So part of you wants to say, well, you know, we were all stupid when we were young, or you get smarter as you get older, or they just... But then you think about... um. the zeal with which they sign these letters, shout these slogans, wave these Palestinian flags, these are probably people that that don't own an American flag and have probably never waved one. So they're living in this country, they're enjoying all of its benefits and protections. They would claim for themselves without thinking twice their rights, they would demand their rights if you came at them, I've got rights. But they're waving a Palestinian flag and they're making excuses for the slaughter of babies. That's pretty scary. I don't mean to make this about us, but that is sobering right there. And again, 90 years ago, you had some knuckle-dragging, mouth-breathing people that thought Hitler was great, and they couldn't wait to put on their swastika armband. I'm not excusing them, but... You could legitimately say, well, what do they know? Or they don't know any better. These are people that should know better. And those people that went to Bund rallies 90 years ago probably weren't going to be running Fortune 100 companies or becoming the chancellor of a university or a United States senator. These are people who will be doing those things shortly. Shortly. On the uh, JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery, approve or disapprove of President Biden's response to the attack on Israel, 100% disapproved. Disapprove. So far. Maybe it'll turn around. I don't think so. Um, yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, if you think about... And I'm sure you've heard some things about the pretty robust border that Israel has. Those Hamas terrorists had to go through walls and fencing, uh, electronic um, barriers, in order to attack and slaughter hundreds of innocent civilians in a country that is always on alert. Like I heard the president today say that, I think it was the president or maybe it was somebody else in the administration say that, uh, oh well, we're alerting local police chiefs and police departments, and we've got, uh, we're we're putting up more security around uh, synagogues and things like that. Okay, we have just watched a country that describes itself as a fortress get taken down hard. And we have an open border. What are we do? What? How can we even say we've increased or we're on increased security footing, or we're on alert, or we're? You know, again, I just I think it's I think I think there's a terrible misleading going on right now that's going to make the eventual other shoe that drops even more shocking than it would have been on its own we're not being honest with ourselves or our leaders are not at all being honest with us about how this could happen here. So anyway, uh, not to end on that kind of a note, but, um, but to end, because we do have to, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Live. We get started at four. Um, You can also find this show as an on demand podcast anytime you want at KTSA.com. Pull down the on demand menu or look for the Jack Riccardi show, full episode podcast, wherever you like to get your other podcasts. And we'll be back here live at 4 tomorrow on KTSA.
4: In the light of what's happened in Israel and Gaza, uh, a song about nonviolence seems somewhat ridiculous, even laughable. But our prayers have always been for peace and, uh, and for nonviolence. So, put our hearts... And our anger, you know where that's pointed to. So sing with us. And those those beautiful kids of that music festival. Early morning, October 7th, as the sun is rising, the desert sky, stars of David. They took your life, but they could not take your pride.